series called The Great Escape, and this is a walk, a walk through the book of Exodus. Today is our eighth uh, lesson in the book of Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter number six, verses 14 through 30. And I don't know about you guys, um, when I was looking at the scripture and kind of planning for the week, I knew God had given us the break at, at, at verse number 13, but number 14 starts a genealogy. And the genealogy goes verse after verse after verse. And how many of y'all, when you get to a genealogy, kind of go, I'm going to skip that section and just move on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Sometimes the genealogies are kind of hard, right? And I, yet I knew that's where God told us to make the break. So it was a couple days there. Where I was a little stressed about our message this week. But praise God, he is, he's worked it all out. Like I said, nothing is put in the Bible by mistake. Every single word that is in that Bible has a purpose. Amen. And as we look into it, God reveals to us the purpose. Last week in our message, Shaping of Faith, Moses was struggling with his emotions as his circumstances were basically overwhelming. He had trusted God in certain areas, but when things uh, didn't go the way that he'd hoped, in fact, got worse, he fell prey to fear and doubt, uh, which stopped him dead in his tracks. Through it all, we saw an almighty God patiently guiding him to a very important spiritual truth. Last week, we realized when we don't have the faith to take action, we must borrow the confidence of God and simply be obedient to his word. This morning, we're going to do a, uh, going to get a deeper understanding of Moses and Aaron as we look into, his, into their family in our message today titled, The Bloodline of Faith. And let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for today. Thank you, Father, for speaking to our hearts and God helping us already, uh, Lord, to feel your presence. Thank you, Lord, for this message. I would ask God, you know that I have spoken, uh, that you've spoken to me, Lord. There, I have no doubt of that. And uh, Lord, but I would ask God that you would speak through me. My true heart's desire is that I might disappear, Lord, that the word of God might come forth and that we might hear from you and you directly. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Thank you, Lord, for what you have in store for us. Thank you for this message in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now we're going to jump into our scriptures in a moment, but we're going to be looking at the bloodline and sort of the heritage of a gentleman by the name of Jacob, and he will be renamed to Israel. And I thought we would start off with Jacob and kind of look at him a little bit in Genesis 35, verses 1 through 3. And it says, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeareth unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Does anybody remember the story of Esau and Jacob? Remember that? Esau and Jacob. Jacob was basically, he and his mother Rebekah were deceivers. They tricked Esau's father, which is going to be, um, would it be Isaac? And they tricked him into thinking that, uh, that, that Esau, that Jacob was Esau. And there's a whole bit of deception that took place there in order to steal the, the birthright from Esau. Okay? Verse number two, it says this. Then Jacob said unto his, unto his household and to all that were there, all that were there with him, put away the strange gods. I want you to notice here that it says put away the strange gods, not put away your strange gods. These strange gods, meaning he knew they were in his household and he'd accepted the fact that that was a part of kind of their life. So he wasn't walking with God at this point in time. That are among you and be clean and change your garments. So a change here, we see a surrender to God. And verse number three, and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. In the midst of my disobedience, this God, this wonderful almighty God was with me and now it's time to take action in order to follow him, okay? Now, we're going to see the results of this new faith here in this commitment to God in Genesis 35. Verse number 10, it says, And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel in verse number 11. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. 
Now we know that Jacob, Israel, is going to have several kids. His fourth son born is going to be named Judah. And then Judah, guess who comes from the line of Judah? King David. And guess who comes from the line of King David? Jesus Christ himself. That's what he's referencing there. Now, so we understand now that we know also the fact that at this time, Jacob already has all of his kids, right? So they saw him living this kind of pagan life away from God, and now they see this dramatic change. God comes in and interacts in his life, and now what happens is there's a shift. But the problem is sometimes in our lives, maybe prior to salvation, people knew who we were before, right? And they have a memory of who we were. I remember um, prior when we got saved, which was August 11, 2001, the night Christine and I got saved. Prior to that, just a day or so before that, I had been at my neighbor's house playing beer pong. If you don't know what that is, praise God, you don't know what it is. <laughs> but it wasn't something godly, let me just tell you that. So we got saved. Well, then within a matter of days, I've been dramatically changed. God's changed my life, and guess who I go see? Oh, well, I'm going to see my neighbors, man. i got to tell them what happened. i got to tell them this great news of who Jesus is and how he saved my life. And you won't believe it. This is truth of the Bible, and it's real, man. So I go back, and that's the conversation we have. And they're like, okay, <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, great, Dave. Great, 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 great. Yeah, we got some stuff going on. we gotta, we got to go, man. And the fellowship that we had before was very different now. There was a dramatic change. And it took time through a testimony for one of those brothers that I actually was able to lead to Christ, praise the Lord, over a period of time. But what happens is sometimes people remember who we were. So I want you to keep that in mind as we look into our scripture today. This is Jacob, Israel, who we're talking about. This is going to be his sons. In Exodus 6, verses 14 through 30, it says this, These be the heads of their father's house, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok and Palu, Hezron and Carmi. These be the families of Reuben. So this is Reuben who is the firstborn son of Jacob, okay? Now, in this situation, um, Jacob, this is going to be Moses' great uncle, okay? His mother's name was Leah, okay? Now, the thing about Leah is the fact that Leah was actually, uh, the way that they ended up together, Jacob and Leah, was a bit of trickery. There was a man by the name of Laban, and that was her father. And what happened was, Jacob came along, and he fell in love with this young woman named Rachel, Man, oh man, Rachel was the greatest thing ever. Since sliced bread, she was amazing, beautiful, amazing. And there was Leah who was kind of like, yeah, I got nothing for her. And Laban tricks him into marrying Leah first. And he says, now you're going to stay seven more years if you want to get Rachel, right? So what happens is Leah's not necessarily have a great relationship with her husband, right? There's a sense of, of, of distance there. In Genesis 39, 32, it says this, or 29, 32, it says, And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction, meaning that she feels unloved. And it says, Now therefore my husband will love me. How sad is that, right? She's got this, this son, right? Now, as a young man, this young man, Reuben, had some issues with his character, okay? And we're going to look at one of those here in Genesis 35, 22. And it says, And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bil Bila, um, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. Now the, son of Jacob, um, the sons of Jacob were twelve. So here is a description of him basically dishonoring his father and betraying his father. And I want you to look at this. Here is how in Genesis 49, this is on Jacob's deathbed, Israel's deathbed. This is how he describes Reuben. This is his description of this young man. Unstable as water. Thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, thou defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. 
He says, you cannot be trusted. You are a betrayer, a betrayer. And this is one of the lineage of Moses, okay? Now, here we witness another instance of moral weakness, okay? So we see moral weakness there with Reuben. Now, there's another instance here, and this is going to be with all of the brothers, okay? So you guys remember the story with Joseph? A little bit, right? So what happened with Joseph was Joseph had had a dream, and it basically said that, hey, you know what? He's going to rule over his brothers. And just thinking that it was cool, that it was a neat thing, he decided to share it with his brothers. And they weren't like, man, Joseph, that sounds awesome. <laughs> you're going to rule over us, and you're the 11th of the 12? You're one of the youngest? Great, that sounds super. Yeah, yeah, we really want to serve you. That's going to be great. So they get a little frustrated, right? And in Genesis 37, 20, it says this. It says, and it says, Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams, right? So there's some bitterness and some frustration and some jealousy there. To say that all of the brothers have some moral issues going on is a bit of an understatement. They got all got some problems going on here. But, and yet, in spite of that, in verse number 21, it says, and Reuben heard it, meaning this was not Reuben's idea. He heard the, tour, the story and the plan, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. So Reuben actually comes to the rescue of his little brother, okay? Now that's going to take us to the next son. We leave Reuben and we now go here. Verse number 15 of our, of our scripture in Genesis 6. It says, And the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, and Jamin, and Ohad, and Jachin, and Zohar, and Shaul, says the son of a Canaanitish woman, these are the families of Simeon, okay? So next we see Simeon. This is another great uncle of Moses. His mother again is Leah. He's the second born. In Genesis 29, 33, Leah says this. She says, And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. She called his name Simeon, okay? Now, Simeon's got some serious moral issues going on, okay? Years before the attack on Joseph, we've got something that happens here with his sister named Dinah, okay? Now, there's a gentleman by the name of Shechem, and they're actually staying in a place when they're in Canaan back in the day. They're staying in Canaan and in Shechem, and the prince of Shechem falls in love with Dinah. This is going to be their sister, right? Now, he's like, man, oh, man, and he lures her away, and he lays with her, and he says, oh, my goodness. He defiles her basically in their eyes, and everybody gets freaked out. But the thing is, he loves her. He truly loves her. He wants a relationship with Dinah. He cares for her greatly, and he goes to his father, and he says, he says Dad, you know what? I love this girl. You've got to help me. I want to build a relationship. I want to, I want to have a few with her, but she's one of those Israelites. And so Horam, his father, says, you know what, I'm going to work this out. We're going to go talk to them. We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to share with them how much you love this girl, and you know, we're going to build a relationship. We're going, to, we're going to create a truce between us. So in Genesis 34, 13, it says here, and the sons of Jacob answered Shechem. I want you to notice here, Jacob should have been the one speaking for his family, but he does not. The sons are the ones that are doing the negotiating. Okay? And it says, they answered Shechem and Hamor, the father, his father deceitfully, okay? so they're lying to him, and said, because he hath defiled their sister. Okay? He says, look, you know what? we're going to listen. We're going to play along with this love story concept that you're sharing here. And it says, and they said unto them, we cannot do this thing and to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that we are a reproach unto us. He said, look, this just would not be right in order for us to, to, to have our sister be with you. But, verse number 15, in this, and this is Genesis 34, 13 through 16. But in this will we consent unto you. If ye will do as we be, that every male of, of you be circumcised, right? So he says, look, if you'll be circumcised like us, 
as Hebrew or as, as Israelites. It says, then will we give our daughter, notice this, then will we give our daughters unto you and we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and we will become one people. If you'll be circumcised, not only will we give you Dinah, but you know, we're going to unite our families. We're going to become one, all of us. So an agreement is reached. Genesis 34, 26 through 24. And unto Hamar and unto Shechem, his son hearkened all. And, in, and, they, and they went out of the gate of the city, and every male was circumcised, all that went out of the gate of the city. So Hamar and Shechem, they keep their word. And in verse number 25, And it came to pass on the third day when they were sore, notice this, they've had surgery, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. They waited till they were in pain from surgery and they couldn't defend themselves. And when they're all laying down, resting and healing from the circumcision, which was a ploy in order to kill them, they came in and killed everybody. And they slew Hamor and Shechem. The father had done nothing wrong. He's simply going on behalf of his son and his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. So Simeon and Levi have lied. They have killed not only the guilty, but the defenseless and the innocent as well. So there are some serious issues with this young man. So we look back. At, and we look here at Jacob, how Jacob describes Simeon. Check this out. Genesis 49, 57. Again, this is on Jacob's deathbed. He says this of his son as he describes him, his second and third born. Simeon and Levi are brethren, instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. They are like-minded men of violence is what he's saying. Oh, my soul, come not thou into their secret. Do not trust these men, unto their assembly, mine honor. Be not thou united, don't spend time with them, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. These men are destruction and pain. Verse 7, cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. I want you to notice that's prophetic what he's saying there. He says, I'm going to scatter them in Israel. Because 453 years in the future, when they are going to possess Canaan, guess who does not end up with any land? Simeon's descendants, guess what? They don't end up with anything. They end up broken, right? And Levi, right? Simeon's actually, what happens is they actually freeload off of the, 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 the Judah. That's where they live on their land. And then the Levites, they don't have any property of their own. They only get what's given to them. They become actually the line of the priests. So we get a little bit of a picture of Simeon there who was, number sec was the second born. And verse number 16, back in our scripture. And these are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations. Gershon and Kohath and Merari, and the years of the life of Levi were 130 and seven years old. So Levi's offspring, as I said, are going to become the priests, okay? This is going to be Moses' great granddad, okay? His mother was also Leah. He was the third born. Now, obviously, we know based upon the scripture that we just read, there are some serious issues with this young man. He was one of the ones that gathered the sword that lied and went and did the killing, right? And yet, in Numbers 3.12, it says here, check this out. And I behold, this is God speaking, it says, I behold, and have, given, have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel, instead of all the firstborn that openeth the matrix. When you see that word matrix, it means a mother's womb. Among the children of Israel, therefore, the Levites shall be mine. Hmm. God sets them aside for a special service, a special service. And isn't it amazing? Can we not see through this how God can take imperfect people to fulfill his perfect will? Doesn't that give us some hope? Because anybody else in here besides me imperfect? <laughs> right? We've all got our issues, whatever it may be, right? We've got some stuff in our past, perhaps. And it says in verse number 17, 
It says, the sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei, according to their families. Now, is this son here, Gershon, this is one of Levi's sons. I know it's hard to keep track of. Just trust we're working our way down a line, okay? And we'll make, make sense as we go. But it says the son Gershon. Now, what's interesting about Gershon, he's actually going to become long-term called the Gershonites. His people are going to be the Gershonites, okay? And what's cool about this is actually we find in Numbers 3, 25 through 26 and Numbers 4, 21 through 28, we find out that the Gershonites are Levites that have a very specific purpose, okay? All these three sons are going to be given the, the care of the tabernacle. Tabernacle means dwelling place, okay? The tabernacle on earth, this is God's dwelling place on earth. So this is a very, very big honor for them. And the Gershonites, their role is to take care of the outer coverings of, this, of the tabernacle. So they take care of all the outer coverings and the blankets and the entry, right? So that's, that's their job, the Gershonites. Then we go over here and it says, And the sons of Kohath... Amram and Izhar and, Leb and Hebron and Uziel and the years of the life of Kohath were 130 and three years. Now, with the Kohites, that's going to be Numbers 331 and Numbers 4, 1 through 20. It teaches us that their job was to take care of the Ark of the Covenant. They're supposed to take care of the, the altar. So the interior places of worship. So these three different brothers all have very specific roles, all taking care of the tabernacle of God. And then we have the sons of Merari. Their sons, his sons' names are Mahali and Mushi. These are the families of Levi according to their generations. Now we know from Numbers 3.36-37 through 37, and also uh, Numbers 4.29-33 that their job was to take care of the structure of the tabernacle. The Bible says the columns and the pillars and the, and, the, and the ropes. So they would build the structure. The other gentlemen would come along. They would do the exterior covering. And then the others would come in and fill and do the inside. So they all have a different role. So their job was to take care of the tabernacle, but not only to take care of it, but also to protect it. They were entrusted with protecting God's dwelling place, okay? Now, what's interesting is we're going to work through this. You're going to notice there's a little something. It's a, a little pattern that we'll find. Verse number 20, and Amram, okay? This is one of the sons of Kohath. Amram, this is Moses' dad, okay? Moses' dad. Moses says, Amram took him, uh, took him, Joshebed, his father's sister, to wife, and she bare him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137 years old. I want you to notice the fact that we only got in the ages how long these people live. There's only been three out of this entire list. There's 43 listed, okay? Out of this list of 43, there are only three that is going to tell us how long they lived. And what's interesting about it is it follows a line. Levi, it says, was 137 years old. It says that Kohath was 133 years old. And it says Amran, 137 years old. And if you do like I did, because I was getting confused as I was doing this, and you draw out a family tree, because that's all I could do, man. I, I'd drawn it first on a nap. I'm not joking, dude. 43 names. I had them drawn out. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, I mean, I, I was drawing it out, trying to figure I was like, man, where in the world is going on? But if you notice here, so we see we get the age here of Levi. We get Kohath, and then we get Amran. So, notice here it's creating, it's pointing us down something, right? Boom, 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 right? So, it's picking them out of this line, and it's showing us something specific. And this is in verse number 21. And the sons of Izhar, Moses' uncle, were Korah and Nepheg and Zikri. Okay? Now, so Korah, we know, if you know your Bible at all, you're going to recognize the fact that there's an issue in number 16 with the descendants of Korah. Korah will cause a rebellion against God, and God will utterly destroy them. Right? This is the same Korah. This is one of Moses' cousins. It says in verse number 22, And the sons of Uziel, Moses' uncle, were Mishael and Elzaphan and Zithri. 
And verse number 23, And Aaron, Moses' brother, took him, Elisheba, daughter of Abinadab, sister of Nashan, to wife, and she bare him Nadab, and Abihu, and Eleazar, and Ithamar. Now, Nadab and Abihu, they're going to have an issue as well. Right? These are out of the line of Levi. This is out of the, the, the sons of Israel, right? And what we find is those two men, there'll be a point in time where they're going to get kind of full of themselves. And you know what they used to take? They, as priests, they would go and they would burn incense to God. Well, the Bible says that they used strange fire. They said, you know what? We're going to do it, but we're going to do it our terms. We want to do it our way. And they went to say, you know, we're going to walk right up the tabernacle. They've gotten comfortable with their role, and they go, you know what? Eh, we don't have to be that godly. Let's just do it our way. And they go walking up, and guess what? God brings fire down from heaven and kills both of them on the spot, destroys them, right? So again, we find disobedience, we find murder, we find incestuous, we find all kinds of problems in this backdrop. Then it says here, and the sons of Korah, Moses' cousin, were Asir and Elkanah and Abiasoth. These are the families of the Korites. And Eleazar, Moses' nephew, Aaron's son, took him one of the daughters of Putiel to wife, and she bare him Phinehas. They, these are the heads, the leadership of the fathers of the Levites according to their families. In verse number 25, we finish up with Phinehas. And what's interesting about Phinehas, he is a, 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 a Aaron, his brother's son's son. I don't know what that, how you title that out to Moses. But anyhow, that's where he falls in the line. And what was interesting about Phinehas is actually there was immorality taking place with the Moabites. And he was the one that stood up. And because he stood up and because he claimed right, God protected the people. So we see people that did well, and we see people that did badly. This is a family tree, and we all have a family tree, don't we? Are there people in your past where you're like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, that one uncle, oh boy, <laughs> right? You can track it back and be like, that was, oh, you know. I, I remember it makes me think of that movie, Back to the Future, and they call it, was it, Jail, Jailboard, something like that. They always talk about this one, I don't know if you don't, maybe I'm the one watch like this. <laughs> I like movies, okay, cut me a break. Um, but, but we have these people in our past or in our, in our lineage, and we look back on them, we're like, you know, ay, yeah, yeah, man, they made some bad choices, right? And so if Moses was looking back, he wouldn't be like, man, did you see what Levi and Simeon did? Did you see that with Dinah? That was great, man. He'd love just to sort of let that, let that lie. But this is his family. He can't do anything about it. Now, notice this in verse number 26. These are that Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. Now, as I read this, I'm honest, I'm going to tell you straight up. I read this probably eight times, and I was like, God, I don't know what we're getting from this. I don't know why this list of names is here. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. My wife and I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and this verse is the one that brought it together. These, this is the word that's important. These are that Aaron and Moses. He says, these men, they're from that. These men. These are that Aaron and and Moses. Those men that I'm going to have you look up to, this man that's going to be a man of faith, this is where he comes from. Pay attention. Is that not cool? Knowing their backgrounds, God still chose to use them. It appears the Lord reveals this lineage to us for several reasons, okay? First of all, to validate the fact that they are true Israelites. They are who they, who they who they're believed to be. Secondly, to reveal that they have valid Levitical descendants. No doubt about it. Third, to show that they didn't come from a perfect family. None of us come from a perfect family. We've got stuff in our past. Fourth, to reveal the mercy of God as he focuses on their future outcome. Fifth, to prove that our family does not define who we are. Amen. Thank you, 
And some of us here today, we've allowed our families to define who we are for too long. You are accountable for you. God created you for a special purpose. Your validity does not come from where you come from. It doesn't come from your parents. It doesn't come from any of that stuff. It comes from the fact that you are God's child, right? Your worth and value to the kingdom of God is not determined by your family, not by your past, no matter how messed up they may be. In Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7, it says this, But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, for thou art mine. I don't care what your background is. I know who I'm going to make you to be. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel. Thy Savior, I gave Egypt for the rough for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. For since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thyself. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even everyone that is called by my name. Guess what, guys? For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Amen. Our value comes from our creator. Amen. From our creator. Genesis 1, 31 says this, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Amen. Guess what? He made you. You are very good. He loves you. Whether you love yourself does not matter because guess what? He loves you. Whether your family loves you does not matter because he loves you. Whether your friends, I don't care what your world is, does not matter because God loves you and he knows everything about you. Amen. And he cares for you deeply and intensely and he wants the best for you. God's constantly trying to work on us to help us to become who we can become. And the world is constantly trying to drag us down and take our past and take our family and take relationships and rip us down and tear up our lives and hurt us. But God sees you for who you can become. He's loving you for that person that you are inside that he sees. He's trying to strip away all the garbage that the world attaches to us. It's like, uh, you know, whoever saw The Incredibles, right? <laughs> Amen. You know, The Incredibles, when he's running down the thing, and all of a sudden he's going, thump, 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 they start sticking all those little balls to him, and they start swelling up. Ugh. That's what the world's doing to us, man. We got all this, and we're just getting crushed by it. It freezes us where we are, and we're like, man, I just want to just go forward for God, but I got so much junk. And what the Lord does is he comes to me and he goes, you know what? Let me clean all that garbage off. Amen. Let me get rid of it. Amen. You can do great things for me. Amen. If you just let the world be thrown away. The Bible says to be friends of the world is to be enemy of God. We can't cling to the world because that's going to tear us apart. Have some of us had tougher backgrounds than others? Absolutely. Some of you guys have got stories that I've heard, and it's unbelievable what you've been through, and I'm sorry. It breaks my heart. Some of us have messed up families. You know, your background, you've got pain from your past. The whole thing is you can, you can accept those things and hold on to them and let them determine your future and keep, where you are, keep you where you are. Or you can do it God's way, Amen. right? God's, God wants to throw these things away. He wants you to life, do life God's way and allow the Lord to work through your life. 
right? The Apostle Paul was heartbroken over his past, but knowing this, knowing all that he was and what he had done and where he came from, he couldn't change it. He said this in Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He says, look, I have not arrived, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching, reaching forth under those things which are before I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in God in Christ Jesus. The prize is not personal success. The prize is not happiness. It says that the prize right there is the high calling of God. The high calling of God. If you're a child of God, guess what? There is a call upon your life. God's placed one upon you. He has a call for you. As Christians, we are called, Ephesians 4, 1 through 4 says this, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. When he says the prisoner of the Lord, he says, look, I'm so committed to God that I'm, I'm, I'm his heart, I'm so burdened to be like him that it's, it's, it's almost like a prison. I can't walk away from him because I'm so committed to God. He said, I beseech you. Beseech means to beg. I beg you that ye walk worthy of the vocation, the mission, wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. This isn't a competition. This is us together. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Work together. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. God says, man, I got this life for you. I've given you this life for a purpose that's so much greater than you can understand. And if you allow me to build you into who you can become, you won't believe don't believe the limitations of your past. Don't believe the limitations of your family. Don't believe the limitations of what you've been told. Trust me. Moses and Aaron are real people with all the issues that real people struggle with. They have family issues and baggage from their past, just like the rest of us. They are flawed and failed, just like the rest of us. In verse 26, God reiterated the fact that he chose Moses and Aaron, knowing every detail of who they were. But I want you to look now at verse number 27. These, these are they which spake to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are that Moses and Aaron. These men are going to accomplish the impossible. Amen. Yes. He's reiterating the fact that he's like, you know the background of these men. You know where they come from. These are these men that I'm going to use, right? Yes. How awesome is that? These regular men with all their issues will be used to do the impossible. Verse number 28. And it came to pass on the day when the Lord spake unto Moses in the land of Egypt. Then verse number 29, that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say unto thee. Just do exactly what I've told you to do, Moses. Just go do it. Look what Moses says. Moses said before God, before the Lord, Behold, I have uncircumcised lips. Look, I'm not worthy. And how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Moses is making it all about Moses. Notice this. His focus is not on God. It's about Moses. He's placing success or, or failure on who he is instead of placing it upon who God is, right? He's got to change the way he thinks. It won't be until he lets go of the baggage from the past and embraces the future that God has for him that he will see the miraculous take place. How about us? How about us? Are we allowing our past to determine who we are today? the failures of the past that we hold on to or the fears of the past, right? So many times we determine who we are based upon our experiences. Are we allowing our family to determine our worth or hold us back? Are we limiting God's power in our lives because we've trusted in ourselves 
instead of trusting in God? So many times we look in the mirror and we think, I can't do it. I can't do it. And you're right. We can't do it. We can't. If anything great's going to be done, it ain't going to be because you did it. Right? I'm telling you, when it's about us, it's all destined for failure. If we'd have planted this church based upon what Christine and I were trying to accomplish, y'all wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. <laughs> this bank would be sitting here abandoned and full of water. Right? But it was one of those things where God said, you know what? This is going to take place. Y'all just, my job, the fruitful part was God up to God. And he said, the only thing I require of you is you be faithful. Amen. You be faithful. And that's all he's asking from Moses. I want you to be faithful, Moses. And Moses is allowing his fear to still hold him back. So God's going to do great things, but not yet. God revealed his plan and the outcome to Moses' great, 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 great grandfather, Abram, before his name was changed into Abraham, in Canaan, 635 years earlier. In Genesis 15, this is what God told Abram. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be, of strong, be a, strong, a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Check this out. This is 635 years before this happens. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. God already has a plan for us and a glorious outcome, and all he's waiting for us to do is to surrender and to trust him. God knew this 635 years earlier. Praise the Lord. This is what's going to happen. Moses, I just need you to submit. I just need you to give in because I have a glorious plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That's to all of us, too. That's written, yes, specifically to them, but you know, it also applies to us. God knows us. He creates us for a purpose, and He looks at us and says, you know what? I've got something great for you. Oh, my gosh. I can see it. Oh, buddy. If you'll just let me work in your life. But I don't know, God. You know, I got this problem, and I got this issue, and I got this going on, and I, me, me, I, me, I, I, I. Excuse, excuse, excuse. We've seen Moses, right, full of excuses. God patiently walks with him. Guess what? If you're that person, praise God for the long-suffering of the Lord. Because you know what? He's still walking with you, and he's still guiding you. And even when you're dumb, and even when you do idiotic things, and even when you choose to be disobedient, he's going, okay, okay, back to the drawing board, Moses. Remember, you're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to tell him, but I can't. You're going to, I got it. I know you can't. You're going to go talk to Moses. You're, Moses, you're going to go talk to Pharaoh. But I can't. I'm uncircumcised. I, I got you, Moses. I know you. I know you. I got, I got all this issue. Moses, I need you to go do this. But I, but I can't. Is that us sometimes? Yes. God's calling us to do something. We're like, but I can't, but I can't, but I can't, but I can't. Again, the focus is in the wrong place. If we realize God's the one that's going to do it and not us, it makes it a whole lot easier just to say, Lord, you know what? <laughs> I can't see what happens. I can't wait to see what happens, but whew, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just, I'm just going to trust you. If you've allowed your family history to poison your present, you can change that today. There is no cost, just a choice. He wants you to know the truth. In 1 Corinthians 2.12, it says this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. Freely given. The Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A gift costs the giver but it's free to the one who receives it. That's why it's a gift. And this gift 
of knowledge God wants to give us through the Word of God, the gift of salvation freely given to us. All we have to do is make a choice to receive it. If you're a child of God today, guess what? You're already in the family. Praise the Lord. Right? That's what happened to me 18 years ago, man. I got adopted into the family of God, buddy. Changed everything, right? Changed my future. Changed my destiny. Changed my bloodline, right? But if you're not, you can join the family of God today. And you can join that family, the God's family. And then you can be a part of the bloodline of faith. It's not always pretty. But you know what? God has a purpose for all things. The good things and the bad things. In the end, He can bring them out for His glory. And so when you look at your past, instead of allowing it to define who you are, why don't you look at your future and who God is and let Him define you as someone He can do something great through. He's going to take an average man like Moses and do something remarkable. And He can do the same thing in your life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I'm, uh, I'm overwhelmed by your goodness, Lord. And I know how infallible I am. And Lord, all the issues that I struggle with, God, and I, I felt so inadequate, Lord, this week and praying for this message and pray, reading it, Lord. And uh, thank you so much that you've done what you've done. Thank you that your spirit, God, is stronger than our flesh. Lord, thank you so much for revealing your truth through your word. I thank you, Lord, for those today that are children of God. Lord, we are in the bloodline of faith. And Lord, we, are, uh, we can claim uh, ownership, uh, God, of, of heaven. And thank you, Lord, for the fact that you've saved us, that you've done what you've done for us, and Lord, that we've accepted the truth. But Lord, I feel there may be someone here today. Uh, Lord, they maybe haven't made that decision. Maybe they're not in that bloodline. Maybe they're, they're questioning. Maybe they're doubting. Maybe they're saying, you know what, if, if, if I were to die today, if this is my last day on earth, I can't say that I know for sure I'd be with the Lord. I don't know. I might believe in God. I may have even been to church all my life. I might read the Bible. I might have faith. But I don't know that I have saving faith. God, you tell us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a conscious choice made by someone in their life to choose to receive the gift of God. That death on the cross, Lord. The salvation that you offer us, Lord. And the triumph of the resurrection. Lord, with our, with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I'm a child of God. I don't know if I have that relationship with Him. I might believe in God. I might know who He is, but I can't tell you that today I know for sure that I'm one of His children. But I want to be. I want to be in the bloodline of faith. You have an opportunity today to receive the free gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as he calls out to your heart right now, if you're sitting in that seat and you say, you know what, I do not know and I've got fear in my heart and I don't know what my future holds, but you want to know, you have an opportunity now. It is nothing more than a decision that you choose to receive that free gift. It doesn't take a preacher. It doesn't take anything special. It's your heart. The Bible says, For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's in between you and God. And if you want to receive that gift, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. It will not be a magic prayer. It's not the words of the prayer. It's the heart that you have behind it. If your heart is to receive Christ, He will receive you today. It's a matter of sincerity. With that heart, you can call out to Him. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, 
I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to pray out loud. And I would ask you to repeat this prayer in your heart and in your mind, wherever you may be. You may be online. I don't know where you are. But you need to hear this today. You need to make this choice. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, pray this prayer if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, meaning it with your whole heart. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong, for the way I've disappointed you separated myself from your love. I'm asking you today to redeem me. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to restore my relationship with you. I trust that you are who you say you are, and I believe you have the power to save me. I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to save my soul and give me a home in heaven. Lord, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer and you earnestly meant it, if you will raise your hand as a testament to God, just for Him to see nobody else. Nobody else is looking around. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. Amen. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you so much for the truth of the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to hear from you. And we thank you, Lord, for the power of your spirit. I would ask God that you direct us now as we go out and live this life. Help us, Lord, to embrace who it is you've called us to become. Help us, Lord, to love you, to trust you, to walk with your love. And God, for you to use our lives for your glory. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.